Hey there, thanks for tuning in to St. John's Asheville Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope, and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. Daniel chapter 12, and then uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish, such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, keep the word secret and the book sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be running back and forth and evil shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and two others appeared, one standing on this bank of the stream and one on the other. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was upstream, How long shall it be until the end of these wonders? The man clothed in linen, who was upstream, raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by the one who lives forever that it would be for a time, two times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be accomplished." I heard but could not understand, so I said, My Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are to remain secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be purified, cleansed and refined, but the wicked shall continue to act wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. From the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that desolates is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Happy are those who persevere and attain the 1,335 days. But you, go your way and rest. You shall rise for your reward at the end of the days. And the second reading, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness, for that day to surprise you like a thief... For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then, let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation." For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. 
Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, as indeed you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Louisa, and I am the Associate Pastor here at St. John's in Ashfield. Um, And it's a great joy that uh, we can get into God's Word together this evening. Uh, What a joyful evening it has been. Um, And uh, yeah, it'll be great to spend time together in God's Word now. Uh, But why don't we take a moment uh, to come before our God uh, in prayer, just to center our hearts on Him. So let's pray. Our Lord and God, uh, we are so thankful for the gift of grace that you have abundantly poured out on each of us. We pray that as we uh, study your word tonight, uh, that you might uh, reveal to us more and more of who you are, of your grace and your mercy, of your kindness and your love. Help us to uh, be transformed by your Holy Spirit. Help us to see you more clearly and to live out lives that are faithful to you in all that we do. We pray this in your name. Amen. What immediately comes to mind uh, when you hear the word wait? What emotion does the concept of waiting bring up for you? Perhaps how you feel about waiting depends on the context of what you are actually waiting for. Sometimes waiting can be a positive thing. Anticipation and excitement grows as you wait for that important birthday celebration or that holiday you've planned and are just so ready to get away and to spend some time and rest. Or that moment that kids have the night before Christmas filled with excitement and exuberant waiting for the morning to come or waiting in line to hear uh, the opening night of your favourite band, Uh, or maybe waiting to eat the meal that's been slow cooking in your house all day, and your house has been filled with the aroma of delicious food. Maybe sometimes waiting for you is a neutral thing. Uh, Maybe it means putting off that challenging conversation with a friend or colleague that you really don't want to have. Maybe you feel like in certain circumstances, you could wait forever if it meant avoiding a hard thing or ignoring that chore that you really don't want to do. Like I can wait many, many days for folded clothes, uh, even if the basket of laundry is exploding. I can still wait. I can wait fine. Everything about waiting in that sense is pretty neutral for me. However, A lot of the time, I think waiting is one of the most intolerable experiences of our human existence. I think sometimes this is particularly true because a lot of our life happens instantaneously. We can access information right away. We can catch a train or a bus or drive somewhere and just get up and go. But then when things don't happen as quickly as we like, when we have to sit in that waiting, we can be filled with dread and anguish of resentment or frustration. Perhaps some of the really negative times where waiting is really hard is when we're waiting for the results of a medical test that will determine whether we need treatment for something or whether we're completely fine. Or when our boss or spouse utters those Four terrifying words, we need to talk. And we have to wait and find out what they could possibly want to talk about. 
all the while playing over many scenarios in our heads about what it could be. Or when we engage with various bureaucracies like Centrelink and we sit for hours waiting whether or not it will be of any use to us. Or when we are waiting for sleep and even though we're exhausted, our minds continue to race and sleep evades us. Or when we're waiting to find out if once again we failed that subject or missed out on that opportunity that was really important to us. Waiting can be hard and frustrating. It can be confusing and tiring and many other difficult emotions. And I think that's particularly true when we are unsure of when that waiting will finally come to an end or what will happen to us when that end actually does come, when the waiting is finally over. I find that it is in the unknown that waiting creates its greatest challenge. How do we hope in seasons when waiting is not easy? How do we hold on to hope that isn't merely wishy-washy like, I hope one day I can own a Ferrari? How do we cling to a hope that grounds us, that enables us to wait with patience rather than frenetic worrying? Daniel 12 provides truth for us that can enable us to live in the waiting and a hope that is secure that will ensure our internal outcome even if the immediate future remains unknown. I think one of the most confounding parts of Daniel 9 to 12, out of the chapters that we've been looking at the last few weeks, is that the fact that God provides this insight of the realities of the world and the things that are to come, it creates this whole other layer of waiting. Not just waiting in the midst of suffering, but waiting for suffering to arrive. And so our first point this evening is waiting for troubled times. So not only will the people of God have to wait through the troubled times of Antiochus IV when he plunges their lives into chaos and suffering, but with this prophecy, with this vision that Daniel has received, the people of God also have to wait with uncertainty about this troubled time coming. When will it come? What will the reality of that hardship be? Most of the time in our life, we are blissfully unaware that suffering or times of trouble are right around the corner until they're right upon us. And I think in a lot of ways, that's a blessing for us as finite humans because how, other, how otherwise could we live in the present if we knew what was headed towards us? It would be almost impossible to live in the here and now if we knew every aspect of suffering or hardship that was coming towards us. So why does God warn his people? Why does he give Daniel these vision, visions about what is to come? Why does he make the people wait for suffering? Listen again to Daniel 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish, such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. In the context of the book of Daniel, uh, the people are in exile in Babylon. 
For them, they are already living in the worst of the worst in terms of suffering. They have been relocated from their homeland to a foreign place. They are constantly at risk of forsaking the worship of God by worshipping other gods. Or they are at risk of being put to death if they refuse to renounce the worship of God of Israel alone. And for the Israelites in exile, their hope is that once they return to Jerusalem, once they are free from exile, that they will be safe and well again, that they will experience God's blessing and provision and abundance. In providing these visions to Daniel, God is revealing to his people that the path of hope may not be as simple and as straightforward as they might expect. If God does not provide these warnings for his people, God's people might in those situations falsely believe that God has failed or that maybe he's not the true God of heaven and earth or maybe there's other gods that are more powerful than him. However, the opposite is true. By informing his people of future suffering, God demonstrates that he is not surprised by the suffering of this world and he is sovereign over them. And yet, even though that God has both foreknowledge of these future realities, he does not delight in the suffering of his people. He knows the anguish and destruction and desolation that Antiochus IV is going to bring. And even though this particular vision in Daniel chapter 12 is limited to one particular event in history, we know that God's foreknowledge is not. And this passage also demonstrates for us that there is a paradigm for God's people and for all of humanity that that is shown through the experience of sin and suffering and of brokenness that infiltrates every aspect of our world. God is all-knowing and all-powerful over all of these things. And even in the midst of suffering, even in the most troubled times, God promises to send his spiritual forces, his angels, to protect his people and to wage war against sin and evil. But it's a bit confusing. Earlier on in Daniel, in in the first few chapters of the book, God puts an end to the evil that is uh, against his people. Like when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are saved from the fiery furnace and they're not burnt. Or when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, he did not die. God has the power to put an end to evil in a moment. Why is he not doing the same thing for his people when Antiochus IV comes? Why is he warning them of this evil and the suffering that's going to come? Well, in one sense, I think God's actions and the ways in which he manifests his protection and over his people is a mystery. We can't exactly dictate where or know where God is going to act and how he's going to respond. But even here in Daniel 12, there is promise of deliverance and the hope of God bringing an end to the suffering. There is a glimpse in this of the redemption that will come 
for the people of God in this life, the redemption and freedom and deliverance that he's going to bring. But it also points to the even greater reality of redemption and deliverance that is still to come. The reality of waiting for suffering and trouble is not just an experience that the Israelites had in the ancient Near East. We too, as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, are told to expect suffering and trouble in this life. We might not be warned about a specific event that's going to happen, uh, like Daniel is being warned here, but we have also been shown in Scripture that we can expect times of trial and suffering. And for some of us, that might be our present reality right now. 2 Corinthians 4, 7-9 says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Just as the people of God in the ancient Near East were told to expect suffering, we too can expect seasons of hardship and trial and suffering are going to come upon us. Whether they are temporary or long-term, whether they are in our relationships or in our workplaces, whether they're in our bodies or in our minds, whether suffering impacts us directly or whether we share the burden of suffering of those we love. We know that we who live in a broken and sinful and suffering world won't be able to escape or avoid these challenges. And yet, Knowing that these seasons will come doesn't diminish the significance of the hardship that we'll face. Rather, it reminds us that God is not surprised by our circumstances. God is not out of control. God is not lost in those moments. God is a God who is present and faithful with us, his people. And God works even in the midst of suffering. Sometimes he does work in miraculous ways, but much of the time he works in less obvious ways. But he is at work protecting us, strengthening us, comforting us, and ultimately delivering us from the trial. Whether we experience just a foretaste of that deliverance in this life or only full deliverance in eternity, suffering and trials will not be the end of our story just as it was not the end of Israel's story. The vision that is revealed to Daniel demonstrates that this time of desolation and trouble is unavoidable for the people of God. And yet Daniel himself won't actually face this particular hardship in his lifetime. His role in this is to communicate the visions that God has revealed to him. In verses 9 and 13, Daniel is instructed to go on his way, to continue to live out his life and eventually to die before any of these things come to pass. Daniel provides context for what to look out for as the people of God when to see these suffering and events are coming to pass. And the length of waiting for this particular trial is unknown to the, for when it's going to come is unknown at that time when they read this word, 
All they know is that it is going to come. That brings us to our second point this evening, waiting in troubled times. As I mentioned at the beginning, waiting is one of the most intolerable experiences of our human existence, and never more so when we're in a season of suffering or trouble, in which we don't know when that season will end, or even if that end will come. Once again, uh, this passage in Daniel 12 provides details about the length of time that the community of God will suffer under Antiochus IV. Both verses 7 and verses 11 point to a period of time around three and a half years. In one sense, the exact amount of time that this passage illuminates for us is less to do with the reality of a particular time frame and much more about the promise from God that the time of suffering will come to an end. However, in looking back at history, at the reign of desolation that was invoked by Antiochus IV, lasted around three and a half years. And so there is an element of specific revelation of hope for the people of God that became more clear in hindsight as we look back. For the people of God in the ancient Near East, the desecration of the temple in Jerusalem by Antiochus IV in setting up an altar to Zeus marked the beginning of a significant era of suffering for the people, for the Jewish people. Traditional practices of worship of Yahweh were banned and sacred scriptural texts were burned and destroyed. Anyone who failed to abandon the worship of Yahweh were brutally punished even to the point of death. And the Jewish people suffered under Antiochus' reign for three and a half long years, an intense and arduous season of waiting in the midst of suffering. And that was fulfilling the prophecy that we reading here tonight of Daniel 12. Here the verses of uh, verse 7 and 11 to 12. The man clothed in linen who was upstream raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by one who lives forever that it would be for a time, two times and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be accomplished. For the time that the regular burnt offerings is taken away and the abomination that desolates is set up, there shall be 1,000 290 days. Happy are those who persevere and attain the 1,335 days. Imagine enduring such a prolonged season of waiting. Waiting for God to bring an end to the evil that was being committed against his people. The desecration of God's holy places might reveal to the people, might make them think that God had abandoned his people or that maybe the Greek gods were stronger than the God of uh, than Yahweh or that maybe even all of God's people might be destroyed. But God was faithful. God brought about deliverance. And in the midst of suffering, the people waited. The people of God waited for freedom from tyrannical oppression, waited for peace to be restored, for God's people to be delivered to safety once more. Waiting, enduring, 
persevering in the face of immense hardship, hoping that God would demonstrate again his faithfulness as he had done so many times before, waiting to be vindicated, waiting for the end that was promised here in Daniel 12 that we're looking at tonight. But the act of waiting in seasons of trial, trouble and suffering is not just a reality for the people that Daniel 12 is prophesying about. It is in many stories of the people of God across the Old and New Testament. And so when we enter seasons of waiting in the midst of trial and hardship, know this, it is not only you who wait. There is a legacy across history of faithful endurance of waiting, even in the face of unimaginable pain and loss. Uh, I had my own experience of waiting in 2019. It was unexpected. It was a season of hardship and suffering when my mind and body were completely destabilized by anxiety and depression. And I couldn't do any of the things I normally would be able to do. And I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. And during this time, I wrote these words. I wait and long for a day without anxiety, a day where my chest doesn't ache and my heart doesn't pound. I wait for a day when my hands and legs don't tremble and my fingers don't tingle. I wait for a day where there is no longer adrenaline coursing through my body day and night, all an attempt to keep me safe from a perceived danger. I wait for medication to work and for medical professionals to help ground me again. I wait to believe the things that I logically know to be true and to reject the lies that flood my mind and seem much easier to believe. I long for a day where I feel completely myself again and I can do the things I love. I long for a day where I'm not exhausted from trying to do everyday life And as I sit in this season of waiting, I have times where every fiber of my being just desperately wants to be well. And I have other times where I'm more okay that it might take some time to sit in the waiting. And I accept that it will come to an end at some point. I just don't know when that might be. Thankfully, in God's goodness and gracious kindness, I did eventually come to the end of waiting of that season and found healing and strength. I found that in him, my Lord and Saviour, and in the ways that he provided for me, friends and medical professionals and medication. And yet some of the most agonising moments were when I was unsure of whether or not God was going to answer my deepest cries in the ways that I hoped he would. And after many, many months of waiting, the tide soon started to turn and I was brought again to a place of wellness and wholeness. Now, even in the confronting challenges of being unwell and waiting for improvement, I know that in a lot of ways, my own season of waiting was relatively short compared to many. There are individuals who suffer from long-term impacts of childhood trauma that affect their lives in complex ways for years. 
There are individuals who face grueling chronic illnesses that become much more about managing their illness rather than finding healing. There are others who wait for years to find work after being made redundant, applying for job after job after job, hoping for one place that might provide them a role. Others of us wait in seasons of hardship or trouble that may be initially short-lived, but that they have complex ramifications on our well-being and ability to cope in the future. Waiting and longing and hoping and waiting on God to act in clear and powerful ways to bring an end to our waiting and our suffering. And that draws us to the hope that this passage brings to the reality of our waiting. And our final point for this evening, the hope that shapes our waiting. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish, such as has never occurred since, first, since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the, shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. God has promised in Daniel 12 an end point to the suffering of his people. It will not go on forever. And God himself, through the empowerment of his spiritual forces, in this instance, through the archangel Michael, God will deliver his people once again from the clutches of evil. He does that in this particular context, in the evil that's been manifested in Antiochus IV. But ultimately, God also will deliver us from all sin and evil and the devil. We will have freedom from all evil. Ultimately, God knows his people. He knows who the faithful remnant are, and he will preserve them and protect them, even in the face of horrifying evil. The Old Testament, when it raises imagery of resurrection, point initially to a more immediate hope, a hope that is in the lifetime of the hearers a hope of redemption and restoration to the land. And we know from history that God did just that. He restored his people to the land and to worshipping God in the temple. He freed his people from being under tyrannical oppression. And yet, even the fullness of this promise, this hope of resurrection, was not experienced in its fullness. And this passage points us to an even greater hope. We get a glimpse of the resurrection that will come at the end of all things. Uh, We know if we look at the New Testament that God's people uh, had a foundation of resurrection. Uh, Most notably, we can see that in the conversation between Martha and Jesus after Lazarus' death. In John 11, Martha says to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And also, the Sadducees, they tried to debate Jesus in Matthew 22 in order to test him about the possibility of resurrection. As they rejected its teaching, 
There was already conversation in the Jewish people about the hope of resurrection in the future. And I think most, a lot of that is formed from this passage in Daniel 12. But Daniel 12 only provides a shadow hope of the future eternal resurrection. It's through Jesus and his resurrection that the hope that we have is brought into clear focus. Jesus, the one who entered our world of sin and suffering and brokenness, he similarly, like us, experienced waiting for suffering. On his pathway of ministry over three and a half years, that in the end led him to the cross. But he also waited in suffering, firstly and on many occasions by being present with many people in their own waiting of suffering. And ultimately, he waited through the suffering of being stripped and beaten, humiliated, rejected, and hung on a cross. He waited for death. Not avoiding suffering, but entering into our suffering and death on our behalf. Not that, so that sin and death might win, but so that sin and evil and death would be defeated. In rising to new life on that Easter Sunday, Jesus won for us and guaranteed our future, a future hope of eternity with our God. So that even when we face sickness, even when we see evil and experience the brokenness of sin, even when we face death itself, those things will never have the final word for us as followers of our Lord and Saviour. For Jesus Christ has overcome them all. The light of Christ shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness has not overcome it. And it is in this hope that we now wait. We wait in hope for a future free of evil, where the constant battle between the righteous and the wicked, the foolish and the wise, the unfaithful and the faithful will come to an end. And those who are right in Christ will rise together. And we wait now as lights that shine in the night sky, pointing people to the goodness and grace of Jesus, pointing to the God who has poured out his love on all people and who calls us to follow him and to be faithful. And the hope that we as the people of God, we do not wait alone. We know that God is present with us through his Holy Spirit, helping us to persevere and trust him even in our darkest days. And we wait alongside our fellow believers, our fellow believers who wait with us, who carry our burdens, who build us up when we are broken, and who shine the light of the gospel into our hearts when we feel lost or alone. So as we wait, we wait with the sure and certain hope that the day of our Lord Jesus Christ is coming. And it's coming soon. Soon we will see him face to face. Soon all our longing and waiting will come to an end. We will be his people and he will be our God forevermore. That's our hope. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we are so thankful that you are God who is present with us in our waiting Lord, even when we don't know what the future might hold, even when we're overwhelmed by times of trouble, Lord, you are present with us. 
Lord, you entered into our world through your son. He experienced waiting for suffering. He experienced waiting in suffering alongside us. And he experienced death to free us so that we might have certain hope of a future with you where there'll be no more suffering and no more pain, where we'll be with your people forevermore. Lord God, secure us by this hope that no matter what we face day to day, that we might trust that you are a God who is faithful, that you are a God who does not abandon us, but you have overcome it all. We pray this in your precious son's name. Amen.